If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Your NBC Sports Radio update starts now. Italian Stallion, I'm Jeff Biggs, and a big day today for golf. You saw it on NBC. The final round of the Open was wide open until Francesco Molinari stepped it up down the stretch at Carnoustie to grab the Claret Jug, a birdie on 14 and another on 18, and that was enough to become the first Italian ever to win a major. You know, I, I felt ready for today before the start. I knew it was going to be tough, but I thought, you know, everyone is going gonna, is gonna to struggle a bit, so I, I could use it to my advantage and, uh, yeah, just did a great job. That part on the last, I'll, I'll never forget. Molinari finished at 8 under, two shots ahead of Rory McIlroy, Kevin Kisner, Justin Rose, and Xander Shoffley. Tiger Woods, who was alone atop the leaderboard at one point on the back nine, finished one shot back at 5 under. Uh, a little ticked off at myself, for sure. I had a chance starting that back nine to, to do something, and I didn't do it. I know I'm a, I need to try and keep it in perspective, because at the beginning of the year, you would have said you were playing the Open Championship. I would have said, you know, that's, I'd be very lucky to do that. It's going to sting for, for a little bit here. Did it feel familiar? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like old? It did. It did. It didn't feel any different. You know, it felt great to be a part of the mix and, and build my way into the championship. Well, it's a busy Sunday for baseball. Chris Sale and the Red Sox are sailing in Detroit 6 to nothing in the bottom of the fourth. And the Pittsburgh Pirates have won their ninth in a row with a 9-2 win over Matt Harvey and the Reds. Some NFL news. Number two pick Saquon Barkley has signed with the Giants. With Hotels.com, you can get rewarded basically everywhere. They have all the options you're searching for in one place. Hotels.com's deals actually come with access to instant savings, too. You do you and get rewarded. Instant savings available on select properties. NBC Sports Radio. If you're looking for a full or part-time sales position and you have radio, TV, or print media experience, KCAA has a great opportunity waiting for you that pays the highest commissions in the market. KCAA is the only station in the IE that broadcasts on three frequencies, so advertisers receive three ads for one low rate. This makes KCAA a must-buy for every local business. If you're interested in a sales position with us, email CEO at KCAARadio.com. Hi, this is Aaron McCann, the Deputy Politics Editor at The New York Times. Right now around the country, you're probably hearing conversations about issues that affect us all. Immigration, the Second Amendment, sexual harassment, just to name a few. That's why our focus at The Times is on reporting the facts and the issues that matter most to help you understand what's at stake for your community, for your state, and for your country. The truth demands our attention. Read, watch, and listen to the New York Times. Visit nytimes.com slash truth. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. 
When primatologists observe chimpanzees, they take note of activities like fighting, playing, touching, and grooming. And it turns out you can learn a lot about humans, we are primates after all, by observing the same behaviors in us. Not grooming, but you know, who was nice to who, who complimented who, who talked to who, who flirted with who, all those kinds of things. Laura Jones, an anthropologist at Emory University and Kaiser Permanente. The primates her team studied were surgeons, nurses, anesthesiologists, and other staff at three U.S. hospitals. The researchers observed 200 surgeries while logging behaviors like cursing and cowering, stomping or head shaking, joking and singing, complimenting or flirting. And they found that conflict in the OR surged when male surgeons' teams were mostly male, or when female surgeons were with mostly female teams. I would say it would be a no-brainer if we had found that all females were cooperative, but that's not what we found. Instead, the highest levels of cooperation occurred when a female surgeon had a male surgical team, and vice versa. Perhaps, Jones says, because those mixed teams avoided male-male or female-female conflict. In fact, previous studies in primates, both human and non-human, have shown that competition is strongest between individuals of the same gender. The surgery findings are in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. I would say that the most practical thing to do at this point would be using this to affect training. And of course, you know, encourage both men and women to go into all of the disciplines because right now they're heavily gendered. And perhaps by diversifying the operating room, we can leave chest-beating behaviors at the door. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. KCAA. The information economy has arrived. The world is teeming with innovation as new business models reinvent every industry. Every industry. Inside Analysis is your source of information and insight about how to make the most of this exciting new era. Learn more at InsideAnalysis.com. InsideAnalysis.com. And now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back once again to Inside Analysis. My name is Eric Kavanaugh. I'll be your host for another interesting show today about the information economy and what's going on out there. Obviously, data is a critical asset in the modern world of business. And we're going to talk about a very interesting topic these days. I have to say I was really quite compelled when a good friend of mine in the business threw this idea at me. We recently did a webcast about it. The whole concept is who owns the data, data ownership. What does that mean? Who is responsible for the data? I think that's a big question. I have to say, we just uh, I just filled out a form for another client, a big uh, German software company, a form that allows to basically attest that we are responsible with our data, and it was 24 pages long. <laughs> it was really quite a uh, compelling document that we had to navigate through. And that's a sign of the times. That basically is a sign that things are getting very serious in the data world, that we all have to pay close attention to what we're doing. We have to monitor our data and keep it safe, obviously. We have a lot of data breaches these days. But this the whole GDPR is coming down the pike as well out of the EU, European Union, but it will affect U.S. companies. The general data protection regulation is what it means. It basically just says you have to have a privacy-first and security-first approach to managing your data. And it's got all kinds of interesting stuff in there. But another company that's doing a lot of great work in the data space, the data quality space in particular, is Experian. 
And I have uh, Aaron Hazelcorn on the line today from Experience who's going to walk us through some of the cool stuff they're doing, including a research report they recently wrapped up. So with that, Aaron, welcome to Inside Analysis. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate being here. Sure thing. So I- I've taken a look at this report. Obviously, you and I did a webcast just recently on this. And folks, if you want to watch the archive of that webcast, hop online to InsideAnalysis.com. You can find it on the archive webcast section. You'll see Aaron's picture on there. And we talked all about who owns the data. But maybe you can start us off with this uh, great research paper that you guys have put together. you want to share with our audience uh, what the whole purpose was and what your findings were? Absolutely. So we, we do a, a data management benchmark report every year to kind of look at globally what are businesses doing uh, in terms of their data management strategies, how they're leveraging their data, what are their priorities, looking at topics like data ownership, as I mentioned or Eric was talking about before. And the report is really to kind of see where are we in the spectrum and, and are our goals with data supported appropriately by the data management strategies that we have in place. So this year, we surveyed about 1,000 individuals um, from countries like the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and Brazil. And, and in general, we see that businesses have pretty lofty goals when it comes to data. Eric mentioned this before. Um, but we actually see 90% of C-level executives believing that the data is an integral part of forming their business strategy. And over the next 12 months, you know, the success of, of key business priorities is really going to be um, done based on the ability to mobilize data assets effectively. So from a perspective from the survey, we see key business priorities like uh, improving the customer experience. That's the top priority that we see for businesses right now. Um, other areas or things like talent management and workforce development. It's a very competitive job market right now. So businesses are really competing for talent, and we look at it from a data management perspective. You know, when we're thinking about, one, our data management strategies, we got to think about the people, the processes, and the technology. You know, the people are really a critical aspect of that. Um, but not only that, you know, when people want to leverage data, if they're able to get the insight they need, they might be happier in their jobs. There could be less turnover. So talent and workforce development, really a top priority, especially for the C-suite. We also things like, you know, see things like cost efficiencies and, and growing globally. So all of those are, are opportunities um, that are enabled in some way by data. And it could be through analytics. It could be through the Internet of Things. It could be through data as a service. But when we look at how we're going to improve that customer experience, how we're going to improve efficiency, Having data of what's going on within our business is really going to be, you know, a key element. And data we're seeing is a really an area of competitive advantage. So um, we see from the research that organizations, you know, are leveraging data to improve their relationships with customers, to gain better insight for decision-making, you know, to be more efficient. All of these things help them get ahead of the competition. So the question that we then ask is we have these great and big lofty goals of what we want to do with data. It's going to support, you know, key business priorities that are hitting the top of the business. Then why aren't we all amazing at leveraging data? Why can't we all do it um, where we have insight for miles, right? And the big issue is that we see large parts of data that are inaccurate, that are not trusted. In fact, from our research, the respondents believe about a third of their data is inaccurate in some way. And that's a big area of concern, you know, even at the C-suite level, at the highest level. Um, we see C-level executives saying that they think increased data volumes make it difficult to meet regulatory obligations. You know, we mentioned GDPR before. That's one of those obligations where we have huge volumes of data. We have customer data spread across, you know, various resources. It makes it challenging to meet that regulatory obligation when we have inaccurate data or it's distributed. Um, we also see um, executives saying that inaccurate data is undermining their ability to provide an excellent customer experience. 
um, which is another big issue. And so we're seeing the main reasons for this inaccuracy are things like like human error, like a lack of internal communication between departments. We don't have an adequate data strategy. These are all things that, frankly, we can control as a business, but we may not be investing in the right area right now. Yeah, that's a lot of really good stuff right there. And just to help our audience kind of put some color around all this, data quality issues can affect any part of a business process, right? I mean, obviously you have the customer record. Anyone who's moved a couple of times knows that uh, it's hard for companies to keep up with where you go. I've moved around a fair amount, so I'm always throwing some challenges at companies to keep track of me. But the data about a customer can also be a problem. Your name misspelled, your address wrong. I think it was quite a few years ago that the Data Warehousing Institute did a survey on how much money is wasted due to bad data quality just in the world of direct mail. And then, of course, in uh, in email marketing, for example, there are all sorts of errors that can cause trouble. And that hurts the customer experience, right? It doesn't just waste money, but you actually damage your relationship with the customer when you get critical information about them wrong, right? Absolutely, and it, it's a huge it's a huge issue. So when you see uh, elements of customer data being wrong, you could have it where you have you know some of that inaccuracies can be duplicate information, which we see a lot of. Um, and we're thinking about and continue the analogy that you were just making. Duplicate customer data means duplicate emails, duplicate mailings. That hurts the experience, especially for an eco friendly consumer. If you're talking about direct mail, um, then you have you know duplicate accounts um, where the information is spread out across, um, you know, multiple accounts. Something when we think about the digital experience and that customer experience, we think about the Amazon effect, right? The the fact that all of us are constantly competing, even in a, in a business-to-business world, with that effect of what's that experience like? Am I provided with appropriate suggestions? Um, do you remember who I am? Can I go back and easily look at my past purchase history? When you have duplicate accounts and you have errors in the data, it means that you aren't able to provide some of the elements of an experience that customers, you know, have really decided that are important to them or that they've become accustomed to um, in different areas. So it's, it's really important. And part of some of the things we're seeing from the research are some key areas where we struggle to exploit data assets, and some of that is around, you know, an ability to access data. Um, you know, there were certainly going to be restrictions around some data usage for very obvious reasons when we think about regulations or we think about who needs to look at data. Um, there are restrictions around some access, but can you do data masking? Can you do some other things to allow somebody access to be able to do their job or get the analytics that they need? Other key areas in terms of exploiting data, a lot of times there's limited budget. So we may not be investing in data management and data quality in the way that we need to. When we see our survey, um, a lot of organizations are at the lower end of the maturity curve when we look at data management. We look at the sophistication of the people, processes, and technology around their data. A lot of them are very reactive when it comes to data, so they don't do anything about it until they actually see an error with the data, which at that point it's already too late, right? You've, you've seen an error, but it's already caused a kink in your efficiency, in your supply chain, in your customer experience, and that's when we're going to fix it. We have to turn some things on, the, on their head and make investment so that we're proactively looking at data. Um, we're proactively trying to cleanse, especially some of that key customer information when it's entered, Otherwise, we're going to really struggle in terms of the pace at which we need to operate with data. Yeah, and you you mentioned data masking, which is a very cool kind of technology. So I think a lot of people know about encrypting data. We hear about that a lot these days, where you literally encrypt the data both at rest, meaning where it's sitting in a database somewhere, but also in motion, meaning once it goes over the network to get to some other location, maybe to fuel a business transaction, for example, or to share with a partner. You can encrypt it both at rest and in motion. But data masking is a very clever kind of technology that just kind of overwrites how a piece of data looks, right? And you can have different kinds of masking. Can you kind of talk about 
how that works and how it's an alternative to encryption? Absolutely. So, you know, data masking is, as you said, is a method for, you know, you can create a similar structure for the data, but you can, in a sense, blind the data to make it so somebody can use it for certain purposes, like um, testing something or maybe user training. Or in, in these instances, you could mask someone's identity um, and then you could have some of that other raw data exposed or the metadata around it so that that data is not identifiable, but in you're looking at it in the context of analytics or a larger portion, there's no PII information or personally identifiable information available. But what you can do is then take a look at that data and still gain some of the analytics and insight that you might need without being able to tie that back to a particular individual. It's a very cool piece of technology um, that can really you know, do a lot in terms of, of analytics when we're talking about data restrictions and what needs to be done there. Yeah, and that's a very important thing because, as this benchmark report shows, and folks, if you don't have this, you can search for it. It is the 2018 Global Data Management Benchmark Report by Experian, or send an email to me, info at insideanalysis.com. I'll send you a copy. Uh, but of the top ranking reason for good data quality in your benchmark reporter for you know, for using data is analytics, right? 52% of respondents said analytics is important, and that's where that masking comes into play because if you lock your data up due to regulatory concerns, that ham, ham, it hamstrings your, uh, or, or, you know, that's what I'm looking for. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little tired here. i got a cold here today, folks. But you wind up tying your analysts up and preventing them from doing the kind of analysis that they want to understand what's happening with the business, right? So masking is very important to enable analytics across the organization, right? Absolutely, and, and I think you made a very good point there. We need to work with regulation to, to make sure that we are, we are complying, we're putting the consumer first, especially when we're talking about GDPR. But it's important that we also, you know, gain the insight that we need as a business, and there are very smart, intelligent and technology-driven ways that we can be looking um, at this data where we can comply with regulations but still not be hampered in terms of, you know, our ability to derive insight. We have to do it in a very responsible manner, and we have to do it in new ways than maybe we've done in the past. You know, binders of, of customers sitting on the desk with their personal information available or information just generally open isn't appropriate, but what we can do is use technology um, to help us gain some of the insight that we need. And as you said, analytics is one of the top-driven you know opportunities when we're looking at data. Again, Internet of Things is another. Looking at more automation, data as a service, all these things are very important when we start digging into the data. And again, I think it's important to note there too, um, and I think this is a nice segue to another part of the research, is that really when we, we think about these, we're talking about technology, and there is a lot of great technology out there on the market. But a big area that we see a gap in, in our research when we look at it is the people. So a lot of times when we think about some of these projects um, around improving data, many businesses are IT-led around those projects. And a lot of times maybe start with technology. They'll say things like, I want to have a data governance program. Oh, I must need a piece of data governance technology, and I'll plug that in. It'll be a silver bullet, and all of my problems will be solved. And that's simply not the case. We also have to invest in data management when we think about people. We think about ownership. We think about processes. And it's really important to have you know, a leader, as it were, in terms of the data management strategy. And um, when we think about that, we get into the question of, of who owns the data. And data ownership today, um, and feel free to stop me, Eric, at any point if you want to jump in, but data ownership today is really, it's, it's elusive. A lot of people don't know who owns the data, which creates problems because when we see those high levels of inaccuracy, we sit there and think, okay, well, we need to fix that. But then who fixes that? Who owns the data within the business? A lot of time, most people think it sits with IT, and that's a very traditional way of managing data. Um, 
but as we can see, it has its problems because we aren't fully leveraging the data that we should. Um, when we look at the surveys, it's almost half say the IT department owns the data. We see about a quarter say the CEO. I think it's important you know, to note that point because data is really starting to be considered as a key asset within the business. But again, we only see that for about a quarter of, of businesses. We also see the CIO mentioned. We see um, data distributed across departments. And so when we think about all of that, um, you know, it's really all over the map. We don't know, depending on the business, it could be different people within the same business. I think different people own the data. But with IT departments and their ownership, the problem with that is with the way we're operating in a digital economy today, we need data insight far faster than we used to. We cannot make a request of the IT department and then sit there for a day, two days, two weeks. Um, we really can't do that. So we have to be able to take control of the data ourselves um, and to be able to get those analytics. The business a lot of times is clamoring for more of that. And so we're seeing this role emerge that we'll talk about more later, which is the chief data officer, um, and about 10% of companies now are saying the data um, resides with the CDO. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good information, and I think you're spot on about IT owning the data. I mean, there is data that IT should own, and I think that would be data around, you know, for example, information systems, applications, how they're running that kind of thing, the metadata log files, for example, for how different applications run. But for business data, you want a business person to own that data, right, because you want to know who to talk to when you find errors and be able to have people accountable, right? We've got one minute for the first break. Talk about the importance of the business owning the business data. Absolutely. So we see actually from our data, 89% of businesses believe the responsibility for data should ultimately lie with the business with occasional help from IT. The C-level actually thinks higher percentage levels. So I do think we're seeing as the business wants to do more with data, we're seeing a shift um, from IT owning the data to the business, and that's changing the ownership structure of what we're seeing with data moving forward. Yeah, and that's really good stuff, folks, because if you're a business person and you take responsibility for your own data, you're going to be doing well. I mean, you really are. You're going to be on top of things. You're going to be able to address concerns. Yeah, there'll be some times when someone comes knocking on your door with some unpleasant news, but at least you'll be the one in charge. You'll be the one dealing with these issues. So I think we're going to have to go to break now, folks. Stay around for just a couple minutes. We'll be right back. You're listening to Inside Analysis. It's the one thing that we say we're going to do. Get some sleep, get some rest. The one time we have a chance to get that done, do we do it? Yeah, right. I'm back from vacation and I'm exhausted. Next on Dan's Life. A great radio show may sound like it's easy to make, but if you've ever tried, you know that's not the case. With the time spent engineering, producing, and archiving, you end up losing focus on what really matters, the content of your show. If you put your show on the Gab Radio Network, you'll be able to leave all those technical worries to our staff of highly trained engineers and producers. And all you need to do is have fun and put on a great show. Want to find out more? Send an email over to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. Vacation, obviously taken from the word vacate, to leave, to give up, to stop. It's the suspending of work, study, business, or our regular duties, and is often observed with travel. But when we do go places, we often spend that time going at a pace which is as stressful and taxing as our every week work lives. I left Chicago with my family for vacation the week before last. Almost two weeks of time back in my native state of Georgia to visit family and friends. I've never been so sapped for energy in my life than returning from vacation. What's supposed to be that time where I can recharge my batteries is instead a breakneck pace of going from this place to that place to see this person or those people, visiting with one eye on the clock before I have to get across town or across the whole state to see somebody else. Find out more about Dan's life on Facebook. Search at French and Friends. That's at French and Friends. But I bet you'd all agree with this one universal truth about vacation. Never, ever return from vacation the day before you go back to work. We need a buffer day or two or seven before we resume normal day-to-day -day operations. This is Dan's Life. 
Welcome back to Inside Analysis. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Take this to the Welcome back once again. We're talking all things data here in the information economy. It's all around us. It's really exciting stuff, I have to say. I'm a big fan of the, the data space. I've been in it for 20 years, and I have to say the pace of change and the pace of innovation is just expediting these days. It's getting faster and faster. It's accelerating, and the companies that ride that wave are doing just fine, and one of those companies is Experian, and we have Aaron Hazelcorn on from their data quality division. So, Aaron, I'd like to dive right into our next big topic here, which is the chief data officer. You know, it was a couple of years ago that we really started talking about CDOs, and now they're just everywhere. I think it's one of the fastest-growing roles in modern business, the chief data officer, and I think there's a lot of good reason for that. I remember I did a show probably just about three years ago or two and a half on DM Radio about the CDO concept, and I, going in, I was against it. And by the end of that hour, I had changed my mind because I realized that it's very difficult to effect change in any large organization. I mean, let's face it, these big Fortune 2000 companies, they don't move on a dime, right? They have to employ policies that will subtly shift the focus or trajectory, and it takes time to make all that happen. And that's when I realized, you know, that's the value of a CDO. If you don't have one, you can bring in a CDO, and in those early days, that first six months, a year or so, that person has a lot of latitude in terms of redefining the direction, the appreciation for data, and that's a really good way to... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply some of the challenges that we see around data quality, around data governance, all these different issues. I'm guessing that uh, you're also a fan of the CDO role, right? I'm absolutely a big fan of the CDO role. And in businesses that are able to bring on a CDO, we see some pretty pretty big changes. And when we talked before the break about that shifting need from data being managed by IT to the business, the chief data officer is really, you know, as they affect change within the business, they're that conduit um, that we're seeing a lot of times when they're successful between IT and the business. They both understand, you know, and need to understand some of the technical aspects and the regulation around data, but they also can talk to the business and understand that business need to get the value out of data that we want. And often what we see from our research is that, some of the top reasons for wanting a CDO are things like, you know, capitalizing on that competitive advantage, capitalizing on big data opportunities, 
bringing, you know, de-risking data projects is another one. We see CDOs that have, you know, two hats that they wear, both an offensive and a defensive. And depending on which industry they're in, that's the hat that tends to be a little bit bigger than the other. But, you know, when we look at defensive, we're talking about regulation. We're talking about risk in regulated industries like financial services, for instance. The CDOs in those industries tend to have far more of a regulatory bend. And frankly, that's how the CDOs got started. A lot of times it was that drive from regulation. But we also see this very important side of the CDO's role, which is offensive, which is to, you know, to drive up the point score, right? It's to find new ways of bringing data to market, um, finding new ways to maybe monetize data within the business or to improve that maybe customer experience. You know, the CDO needs to balance both of those. They have a very big job. And what we're seeing as well from the research is a typical profile of a CDO that's emerging. The typical age for a chief data officer is between 35 and and 44. They've been in the role about two years. Um, They normally report into the CEO or the CIO, which I think is important to note. Again, they want to be a peer with their other C-level executives, and we'll get into empowerment um, a little bit later, but really important that they they feel like they have the authority to invoke change. And a lot of times they spend their time on on cost savings projects, on data innovation, on efficiency. We see huge ranges in terms of the budget that they have. Um, We still see on occasion these CDOs that we'll call lone wolf CDOs. So somebody goes out and says, this chief data officer concept, that's a really great idea. I'm going to go out and hire a chief data officer but they don't necessarily provision for that chief data officer, you know, to have a staff um, to be able to um, invoke the change that they need, maybe through technology or through different processes that they need, and that can be problematic. And so those oftentimes are not successful. But CDOs that have an office of the CDO a lot of times have budget. We see between half a million and five million. In bigger organizations, it's even more. We see some team size ranges of between 8 and 50 people. Um, so they're building up their staff. Um, and so we're seeing, you know, those folks really able to drive some change within the business. Yeah, and I'm guessing that soft skills are pretty important for a CDO as well, right? I mean, what's interesting is that you have the CIO role, the chief information officer, and yet by and large, CIOs wind up being as the, the guy I talked to a couple weeks ago would say, the chief application officers are focused much more on the applications like a data warehouse, for example, or analytics applications as opposed to the information itself. So here CDOs are focused very tightly on the data and everything to do with the data from where we access it, where we, where we gather it, how we glean insights from data, all that fun stuff. As we mentioned on the webcast, I was a little surprised to see so much focus on cost saving efforts, it seems to me you really want to focus more on improving data quality and improving processes, right? I mean, you've been around for a while in the the data quality business, so you know there are tools to clean up bad addresses, for example, using postal service data or to clean up other customer data. But what you really want is to iron out those processes, right, to nail down where data is acquired, make sure you address any data quality issues at the source, for example, such that downstream you don't have those problems. So I think that probably data processes and policies are really important for a CDO, right? They're hugely important, and we actually see um, you know, data quality and data governance as some of the top priorities for the chief data officer. You know, in, when a CDO is coming in, a lot of times you know, there may be a preconceived notion that you know, a chief information officer and chief data officer, what on earth could be the difference? And and frankly, from our survey, we see 76% of CIOs saying that their current role fails to cover the majority of responsibilities a CDO would have. You know, CDOs play a very important role in digital transformation. You know, they're, they're really helping in terms of the changing attitudes um, towards data that are happening within the business. And I think you're absolutely right in that a lot of times the CIO is is very responsible for for processes or excuse me for applications where the CDO is 
is more in charge of the process and how we're going to achieve that. So I do think that there's differences between the two. Oftentimes, a chief data officer, they have heavy influence into applications and some technology, but they may not be the ones purchasing and implementing that technology. It may still sit with the CIO. Um, they have to figure out the right balance between their two their two roles. Um, but the CEO very much adds value to that data management strategy because when we take a step back and we look at data management not necessarily as a technology first play, but instead we look at it as what are the business requirements that I have for data, what are the key business priorities that I need to solve for, what are maybe some metrics that we could tie back to that um, when we're thinking about the business first. The CDO is able to do that, and the soft skills, as you mentioned, are so important because the CDO has to be able to relate that back, you know, to the business. And frankly, 82% of CIOs feel there's a compelling business case to hire a CDO within most organizations. So there is definitely a bandwagon of CDOs, you know, coming on board and making a really big difference when they're enabled to do so. Yeah, and you're right about the enablement, right? And I think you brought up a good point about staff, right? If you give a CDO staff, you're basically saying, yes, I support you. I'm going to allow you to do your job. Because unless you have some kind of budget or some kind of authority, you're just a figurehead, right? Absolutely. And so a lot of times staffing is one of the actually main challenges that a CDO has. Um, they struggle with staffing, with team skills. There's different business expectations. But staffing is huge. Um, we all know that there is a shortage when it comes to data staffing. Um, and so there's a lack of skills out there. There's, you know, a, there's a lack of CDOs out there with experience, too. Um, so we're all trying as businesses to better leverage data, and there's only so many great data practitioners out there. And so staffing is a big concern, but there's staffing at all levels. So most CDOs are trying to hire data professionals in the next year. And a lot of those professionals um, at a base level are data analysts. Now, those data analysts may sit in the office of the CDO. They may sit within a particular line of business, but they're going to go in and do some analysis on the data and be able you know, to work with the information to solve some of those business objectives or figure out how we can do that in real time. We've also got data scientists that are very popular, and data scientists are huge. They're, you know, real great thinkers when it comes to data and how do we leverage it as a business, how do we productize things. Not every business is going to have data scientists or a need for that, um, but it is important that that's a trend that we see within the industry, a very hot role. We also see data protection officers. So when we think about data protection officers, that's actually part of the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, a lot of times these data protection officers need to be put into place. We see that globally. So I think even the U.S., if we think about that, um, a lot of those roles are either being hired for GDPR or maybe general uh, data privacy as well. But we see compliance officers coming into play, data stewards, um, you know, governance leads. We see a lot of that. So these data roles are critically important because it's not just the CDO who's going to sit there and have everything that they're doing under their back. They need to have a team of people around them. Um, and so, you know, some of those CDO resources that they need, it's not only staff, um, which we actually only see um, it's less than 50% have the staff that they feel that they need when they come on board. But we also see gaps in authority over data, in budgetary dollars, in applicable tooling and technology. Now, again, the CDO role is relatively new, and so that creates some challenges um, in the sense that not everybody knows how to set that CDO up for success. And so sometimes they don't have everything they need. Sometimes the CDO comes in and thinks they need way more than what they actually are, are, are actually going to need to be successful. You know, the CDO is really meant to be that person that is, working with many, many departments. And they may not own all the resources, but they have to be the ones that inspire others within the business to provide resources that they need around data to help them with tools, 
to help them with processes, to help them with implementation, but they really have to be that inspiring figure around data within the business. Yeah, and you, you kind of hinted at something right there, at least in my mind I heard, the center of excellence, right? Do you see CDOs running centers of excellence around data management practices or policies? I know we've seen that trend in analytics, for example. We've seen that trend in other data-oriented spaces. Is that something that's starting to come up a bit, the concept of a center of excellence around data quality? It is. It depends on the sophistication of, of the CDO and their mandate, um, which should be driven from the business, right? But a center of excellence around data management should hopefully be where they get to. They have to go in and they have to do some assessments to figure out what's going on with the data and those business challenges before they can really um, create that center of excellence. Sometimes governance priorities um, come into play immediately, and so they have to get their hands dirty with governance first and foremost. But, yes, a center of excellence around data management should ultimately be, you know, what the CDO is is running in addition to driving um, not only that management of data but the utilization of data within the business because, you know, not everyone uses data appropriately. Sometimes we see where if data isn't a trusted resource, um, what we find is that businesses may look at their analytics and then dismiss them because they don't trust the data. They don't trust the source that it came from. And so they'll just go with a gut decision um, or some sort of, of reaction instead of looking at the data that may pose a different, um, you know, thought or a different um, area than maybe was previously thought of before. And so rather than trusting the data and taking that shift or seeing that paradigm change, you know, we'll dismiss it because it's not going to go with what we think. Um, so I think the way of thinking about data management, it's not just how do we manage the data, it's how do we manage the data in a way that builds trust around that data within the business where we as a business stakeholder can take that information, find the analytics that we need, find faith in them, and then be able to have them impact our business and how we move forward. Yeah, and that trust factor is so important, and we've talked about this before on the show and on that webcast that you and I did just recently. The thing with trust is that once it's broken, it's very hard to rebuild, right? I mean, this is one of the main issues in the erosion of trust around data in the organization. And kind of to your point, when there is trust in the data, people use the data to make decisions. When there's not trust in the data, they just go back to old gut instinct, right? Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. And I think the, you know, with that trust being hard to rebuild, sometimes the CDO is up against a big wall. They have a lot going for them where they have a lot of work to do to rebuild that trust. And some of that comes into how do we create policies, how do we openly communicate about some of those changes around data to the business in a meaningful way that is going to be impactful, um, but also thinking about how do we, um, you know, make some of those new tooling changes, how do we put certain people that are intelligently communicating about data to the business you know, the CDO really has to be that conduit, that person that's invoking people to care about trust. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, folks, stick around for the final segment. You're listening to Inside Analysis. We'll be right back. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Do you have a great idea for a radio show but have no idea where to start? Or have you been hosting a podcast for a while and want to take it to the next level? If so, you need the Gab Radio Network. To host a show on the Gab Radio Network, all you need is your voice, and we'll handle the rest. From technical engineering to full-service audio production and much more. Every show on the Gab Radio Network can be heard on our station on the TuneIn Radio app. Plus, we put all our shows on our satellite, which is accessed by 5,500 stations. And here's the best part. You can host from anywhere you want. There are many means to connect to the Gab Radio Network remotely, and our staff of highly trained engineers and producers will make you sound like you're right here in studio. So, if you want to be on the Gab Radio Network, the same network that hosts the Small Business Advocate, Radio MD, and Talkin' Pets, send an email right now to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Marshall, Ph.D. If you've ever had questions about your health, listen to Healthline Live now online at qnlabs.com. Every Monday through Saturday, I'll take your nutrition questions live during show hours and guide you the best I can on your path to great health. The key to great health is nutrition, and unfortunately, our food sources are not even close to what they used to be. Go to qnlabs.com and join me to learn about quantum nutrition. Ask your questions and get real answers. I'll give you the truth so you're empowered to make excellent nutrition and lifestyle choices. Remember, each day's show streams 24 hours until the next show, so you can listen at your convenience from anywhere, anytime. If you miss a show, you can still find it archived on the website. So take advantage of this great opportunity to educate yourself and your family. That's Healthline Live every Monday through Saturday on QNLabs.com. Welcome back to Inside Analysis. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on Inside Analysis, trying to understand how to empower your chief data officer. We're talking to Aaron Hazelcorn of Experian, a company that has a tremendous amount of experience in this space and also has done some great research. So they have this benchmark report we've been talking about on the show today. We talked a lot about chief data officers and, and their roles and responsibilities and why they're becoming such a prominent force in the modern enterprise, in this information economy. And now we'd like to talk about uh, some tips for empowering and, and giving folks and organizations the, uh, the tips and the tricks that they need to get support, to get the support they need to build out practices and policies and use technologies that can help them clean up their data. So, uh, you know, I, I've seen this myself many, many times. Um, we are in tighter times these days in terms of capital investments. If you look at the, the spectrum over the last 20 years or so of data management initiatives, we've gone from very heavy-duty capital expenditures like on a data warehouse, and now it's kind of weaning down to operating expenses and having to do more with less. Basically, there are still going to be some big-ticket items paid for, and I think that certainly around the data quality space, that's going to be one of them. But Aaron, what are some uh, tips you have for business people out there who know they need help, they know they need support, they either need new policies or new tools or technologies or something? What, do you, what can you tell them that they can use to, to go to their boss or their board and, and get some support? Absolutely. And I think, you know, first off, we do see a lot of folks who are owning data saying, that they do not have necessarily the budget or the authority that they need to enact new policies, which is pretty concerning when we think about the gap that we have. Um, but I think, it, and it's less than 50%, feel that they they have the empowerment that they need and the authority within the business. Um, so I think when it comes to budget, we are under we are under tighter times. The good news is that data is a more prominent part of the business. People understand that we need to do something about data, but the question is what? You know, 
what do we need to invest in? Um, and is it that big capital expense that we thought about before, or is it taking interim steps to make some changes to, to the data? And I think what you'll find is taking some of those iterative steps can show quick wins to the business um, that will enable further investment from leadership, especially if it's communicated the right way. So a lot of times what we tell people to do is first and foremost to understand what's going on with the business and to understand what's going on with the data. What are some of the top initiatives that are going on with your business? Is it, as we said before from some of the research, customer experience, operational efficiency? You know, are those key initiatives that are going on within your business right now? And if those are what your business cares about, what's going on with the data and how do we map the data to play into some of those initiatives? When we think about the experience, are we trying to tailor that experience within marketing, for instance, where we have customized emails or customized website displays that are reliant on a back end of data in order to be able to do that? Are we thinking about the customer experience in terms of making sure we have a complete view of that customer so when they call into a call center, we have a full you know, view of their transaction history and every interaction that they've had with the business? What is it that we care about? When we can map the data that we need back to the initiative and how we could improve it, then we can look at how would maybe quality improvements to that data um, make a big difference. And so you want to come up with quantifiable metrics that are going to make a big difference. Um, So thinking about things in terms of how much wasted time are you maybe spending trying to find that information in a call center What's the cost if you lose that customer? If you don't have an accurate email address for them, for instance, what does that cost your business from an efficiency standpoint around, you know, packages and shipments where we don't have right customer data? Are we not able to create the strategy that we need around the customer experience because we frankly don't know who our customer is? Um, those are all things that we can think about where maybe a data quality improvement would help make a big difference. And the things that I mentioned you know, aren't huge investments in terms of making a, a difference. It can be something relatively small, but if we we grab that quantifiable metric, we relate it back to how it matters to the business itself, not to IT, not saying this is how much we need in terms of just a general data accuracy percentage. Let's just take email address. Not saying 90% of our email addresses are right, but rather saying, this is the cost of not having an accurate email on that customer because we can't communicate with them that has all these downstream effects. So we relate it back to the business. We set a time frame, and then we continue to check in on those metrics. That's what's going to make a big difference in terms of buy-in. It's not just saying, I want to improve data quality for the sake of improving data quality. It's saying, I want to improve data quality because it's going to have a material impact to my bottom line and to my customer experience at the end of the day, and here are the metrics to back it up. Yeah, and you, you hit the nail on the head with the metrics, it seems to me. You know, there's the old adage, and of course, it's a really big one in the data management space, what gets measured gets managed. And so if you can start managing issues like data quality, like number of return postal items, for example. I wonder, do you even see bounced emails as being a data quality issue? In other words, how many emails are bouncing? Do you see that as being a data quality issue? It, it is. And I think, you know, when you think about if we just take customer contact information, it erodes at a rapid rate. Think about how much we move, how much we change jobs, you know, how we're, we're moving our lives around. Um, we we lose a cell phone and, and maybe we don't keep our cell phone number. Uh, you know, there could be a number of things. That information erodes. And just because information, it may have been captured accurately, if it becomes outdated, it's still a data quality issue. You still don't have, you know, that contact information for that individual. So it's important to look at not only you know, making sure we capture information and capture it completely because sometimes not all forms are are filled in appropriately or we may get the um, abc at gmail.com kind of email that's not an accurate email address. 
um, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're capturing information about the consumer so we can get back in touch with them. But it's not just about capturing it. It's also about maintaining it over time. And that outdated information yep. is absolutely a data quality issue. Yeah, and there are things that you could do to automate some of these processes, right? Like alerts are, are important thresholds. That's all key to metric management. And you do want to at least keep the metrics same for a period of time so that you can manage against them, right? Like what percentage of bounces is acceptable when those threshold lines get crossed, an alert goes out to a business person who says, okay, all right, guys, we've got to clean up this data set now or that data set. You really need to have those metrics and those policies in place. And then, of course, you need people to manage them, right? I mean, this, I think, is the challenge. Like with alerts, for example, the, the age-old challenge is that too few is not good, too many is not good. So you need to set those metrics and those thresholds just right where you're not inundated with alerts to the point where you, you know, they become meaningless to you. And you also don't want them to be too rare to where you miss something. So I think that's, and that's a human decision that has to be made, right? Someone is responsible for that. That person has to say, okay, I've set the threshold at X and then monitor that for a while. And then you come back a month later and go, you know what? I need to raise that threshold a bit because I'm not getting enough alerts and I'm missing things, right? That's a human process. And it's an important one to manage these things like data quality, right? Absolutely, and that's why someone like a chief data officer or some of these data professionals are so important. They need to understand the, be- the needs of the business so they can understand what is that threshold. You know, you want to go in and understand what is that metric that they care about and then set up rules in place where you can check that over time. It could be email bounces. It could be addresses. It could be, you know, any number of pieces of data that we're going to be taking a look at that matter to a given process. How much is that completed in an online form? How much are people um, providing this information? How accurate is it? You know, being able to relate that back to the business and check that over time against the provided and prescribed threshold, you know, really does matter. And I think, again, it's the the people that need to set that. And as you said, you want to keep those metrics consistent. It's so important to keep them consistent because if you start a project with one set of metrics and you end a project with a complete set of metrics that are totally different, how did you actually track success? And keeping them consistent is going to allow you to say, either I failed and I need to be agile and I need to move something quickly and change the needle to find success, or that was very successful how can I work on that? And I think part of that is finding measurable small changes to the data that we can make so we don't get too overwhelmed by too many alerts or too many metrics. And we can look over time to find out how are we moving the needle and making a difference and slowly gaining more and more investments for data and data management. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, I think what you were kind of alluding to there was changing the metrics uh, arbitrarily is moving the goalposts, right? You don't want to be moving the goalposts around and mm-hmm. say, oh, look, it went through the goal. No, it didn't. You just changed the metrics. Well, folks, we've been talking to Aaron Hazelcorn of Experience, and you can hop online to edq.com. That's edq.com. Scroll down, and you can find this fantastic report, the 2018 State of Data Management. It's got lots of great insights about how people in organizations around the country are looking at data management issues And this is all important stuff, I promise you. I'm just seeing a story right now about misuse of Facebook data and how their price, their stock price has gone down 4% so far. That's a straw in the wind, my friends. It really is. If you have good data management practices, you're going to avoid those problems. So big thanks to our guest today, Aaron Hazelport of Experience Data Quality. We'll catch up with you next time, folks. You've been listening to Inside and Out. This segment of programming sponsored by CyberTime Network Communications. How's your internet? Slower than what you were paying for? Feeling boxed in with the high cost of the internet? It can be frustrating and expensive, and with net neutrality coming, it's not getting any easier. Ready for a better high-speed internet service? And you're ready for CyberTime. And they're local and right in your own backyard. CyberTime provides connectivity for all our transmissions you're listening to at KCAA. CyberTime is locally owned and will respond to your needs with the best service. It's 
crisp, cool, fast, and sleek. CyberTime uses the latest leading edge microwave technology to be able to offer clients a safe, reliable public or private network that fits almost any budget size. Numerous local city agencies rely on CyberTime's microwave private network for their most critical mission applications. You should too. Get connected, stay connected, get smart, get CyberTime. You can Google, text, or call CyberTime Network Communications at 909-795-9559. CyberTime Network Communications in Cala Mesa. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292FQ Riverside, and K293CF Moreno Valley. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.